It's Jim, it's the World of Bonds, it's Friday the 4th of November 2022, this is for professional investors only, never ever investment advice. It's wear your favourite band t-shirt to work day today, I'm uh, rocking KLF uh, t-shirt this afternoon. It's also jobs day in the United States, uh, the most eagerly awaited release statistically of the month. Um, And I guess the story of today's numbers was that it's a cooling labour market, but barely. So non-farm payroll, which is the big headline number that everyone cares about for October, was up 261,000 jobs, which was more than expected. Um, And there was also an upward revision to the previous month, so 315,000 jobs created last month. Even 261 lower than last month is you know, almost in line with the 20-year average. So 20-year average is something like 272,000 jobs created. So although people were expecting a a cooling labour market, it didn't really cool by as much as was expected. So it's a deceleration rather than anything that will cause people to think that recession is going to be a, a 2022 story. However, you know, there are a few wrinkles, as always, lots and lots of data released simultaneously, including another measure of employment called the Household Survey, um, which is a different cohort measurement, um, um, not exactly like for like, or very much not like for like, it includes farmers, for instance, unlike non-farm payroll. And in the Household Survey, they suggest that last month, 328,000 jobs were lost. <laughs> And I've not found yet a good explanation for for such a huge difference between the two numbers. The other thing that might make you feel a little bit uh, more uncomfortable about the robustness of the economy is that the unemployment rate went up. So jobs were created, but the participation rate fell. So people stopped looking for jobs or left the labour force voluntarily or involuntarily uh, through ill health or whatever. But whatever... Uh, whichever way you look at it, the participation rate has fallen, the unemployment rate has gone up. I don't think there's anything in the data, though, to change uh, the Fed's way of thinking about things. And remember that we've just had a uh, 75 basis point hike. Jay Powell said that the ultimate level of interest rates will be higher than previously expected. Um, So if you look at where the money markets are pricing, they're pricing in 5% rates for almost all of 2023 and possibly a peak um, above that. I mean, just below five and a quarter is what the markets are pricing in. So um, while I I think the story is some some deceleration, still very strong compared to people's expectations of where we'd be some idiosyncrasies around the difference between the household data and the non-farm payroll data that I'd like to see some good uh, reasoning for. But in either case, bonds haven't moved very much. I guess there was some comfort for the inflation outlook if you think that lower wages are going to lead to lower inflation Um, while average hourly earnings are actually up last month if you look at the three-month average which kind of smooths the ebbs and flows on a month-by-month basis that is down below four percent now and if you look at where we were a year ago average hourly earnings were averaging around about six percent so, you know, we have seen a deceleration also in, in earnings that the Fed, I think, will welcome. That still leaves, though, 10-year US Treasury bond yields at 4.17%, which isn't far off their high, which is not quite 4.25%. 
And since the last podcast I did, it's worth pointing out the yield curve has inverted further, both on the twos, tens measures, that difference between two-year treasuries and 10-year treasuries, that's been inverted since the first quarter of this year. But people are also looking at uh, another measure of the yield curve, which is the three-month which is more related to Fed funds versus the 10-year US Treasury measure. And, and up to last week, this has been a measure that hadn't inverted. And people say that that's what the Fed really cares about. Um, but actually, that's inverted too now. So, you know, if history is any guide, a recession is nailed on for 2023. If, if, if you take the yield curve as your um, 100% infallible predictor, which it has been up to now. Um, one of the mechanisms for that might be the sell-off in bonds itself. So if I look at 30-year US mortgage rates, which is the, the, the kind of benchmark measure for US um, monetary conditions for householders, they're now at 7.3%, which is the highest uh, since the year 2000, so highest this century effectively. Um, that will act with, with a lag, much more of a lag than for UK mortgages, where we'll see the impacts of higher interest rates come through very quickly because of floating rate, variable rate and short dated fixed rate mortgages in the US much longer, but it does, it will slow housing uh, activity and that will slow the economy uh, in the United States. Quickly mention credit as well, because it is worth saying that we've seen some decent moves tighter since the wides we hit in September, and that's especially notable in high yield, where you see the biggest movements in spreads, of course. So if you look at the US high yield market, the, the spread on the index there is about 481 basis points. Europe, much higher, 578 basis points in high yield. Higher in Europe because of some compositional effects, but also because of fears that are more severe around a Eurozone recession, the impact of natural gas uh, shortages on industry, and of course, proximity to Russia and Ukraine as well. So things are still much, much wider year to date. So US high yield is 170 wider, European high yields 250 wider year to date. But in both cases over the past month, things are, are over 60 basis points tighter. Uh, so the tone there is much, much more positive, um, coinciding with uh, a bit of stability in the UK as well uh, around the change of government there. So thinking about the Bank of England, because we did also have uh, a big Bank of England rate move this, this week, we got a 75 basis point hike there. That's the biggest hike we've seen for over 30 years, taking UK bank rate up to 3%. But I think that what people have focused on more was the messaging from the governor of the Bank of England, that the market was probably pricing in too much tightening, too many hikes, and that the, the market pricing of 5% was too high. Uh, the market is now pricing in 45 to 4.75% uh, rates in the UK. Um, possibly still too high, given that the governor's rhetoric was all around the longest recession, that, A, that we're in a recession in the UK, and B, that it's got the uh, prospect of being the longest recession since the Great Depression in the 1920s, 1930s. Not called the Great Depression here in, in, in Great Britain, it was called the slump. Uh, but, you know, pricing in uh, or, or expectations from the bank that what we'll see in the UK will be the longest recession that we've seen since the slump. As a result of that, um, we have seen some weakness in uh, the currency. So remember, uh, 
Sterling have been incredibly weak. We got down to 103.5, I think, against the US dollar um, in the wake of the mini budget. Um, it recovered a bit post um, the reversal of many of those measures, but then weakened again. It looked like Boris Johnson might be back in the race to become prime minister. Since Rishi Sunak won, though, it strengthened um, all the way um, back up again. It got to, I think, 116 against the dollar, but it's now back down at 112 and a half. And I think that's basically due to the markets expecting fewer rate hikes from the bank on the back of what the governor said um, yesterday and also a weaker growth outlook for the UK. Two other things to finally mention before the weekend. Um, Chinese risk assets have been rallying hard over the past week. This is due to uh, social media chat out of China and then moving into Hong Kong and more widely. There were some screenshots that were said to be leaks from the government suggesting that committees were being set up to talk about and plan for a Q1 or end of Q1 um, unlocking of China effectively and uh, opening up again or planning for an opening up to, to move away from the zero COVID policy. Um, so that sent Chinese risk assets rallying hard. If you get the chance, actually, have a look on uh, the FT website. There's a story of an FT journalist who um, got pinged for COVID, didn't have it, but yeah, as you know, he got sent to a, um, a COVID camp, a quarantine camp, and it's the inside story of his 10 days in a, in a Chinese quarantine camp. I think that's free to read on the website at the moment. Um, and is a, a fantastically interesting read about what, what goes on there, effectively. Um, finally, finally, oil is up today. So it's up $3.5 to about $92 a barrel on the WTI measure. Um, we got down to a low of about $75 a barrel um, a month or so ago. What's worth thinking about is that oil at $92 a barrel will still have a positive year-on-year -year impact on inflation throughout November, December and January, i.e. in those three months um, where we were a year ago is lower than where we are now. Now by the time we get to February 2023 the oil price will be pretty much where it is today, assuming oil stays at $92 a barrel. And then, but then through March through to July, the oil prices were higher in that period than they are right now. So base effects mean that oil will have a positive in, impact on inflation still through to January um, if oil stays at 92. But after that should start um, tailing away and, and having a negative impact. Remember, this is only really a story for oil. Um, we've uh, got our own natural gas problem that's the biggest perhaps inflationary impulse in Europe but for the United States that should be a, a more powerful base effect right have a good weekends I'll speak to you next week bye